This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Catherine Ruck and is from All Saints Sunday, 2017. Years ago when I was in college, Auditorium Theater in Chicago was doing the Shakespearean Roar of the Roses history cycle plays. And those of us interested in such things were constantly standing in line for cheap student tickets, trying to cobble together the whole cycle. I'll never forget the experience of one of these plays, Richard III. The performance was stunning. It was breathtaking. It awakened something deep in the soul. When the actors came out for the curtain call, the audience just leapt to their feet in applause and shouts. And I remember the feeling, this is not enough. I can't even express in my body and my voice the explosion of joy I'm feeling in this moment, the satisfaction a taste of things as they should be expressed. This went on for some time, and then something that I've never experienced since happened. The actors on stage began to clap and cheer, not for the audience, I've seen that happen before, but out of a need to praise, to bless something outside of themselves, almost like they were searching, there's somebody that I've got to praise for this. It was a transcendent moment. They began to look up toward heaven, believe it or not, and clap and cheer toward heaven. They were worshiping, but they didn't know who to worship. When it finally came to a close and we were let down into the streets of Chicago, I was exiting the theater and my very own Stuart Ruck, right at that time just a casual friend, saw me and grabbed my arm in that very laid back way of his, and his eyes, were you just in there? Did you feel that? I said, yes. He said, what was that? I said, I don't know. I have no words to describe it. I'm glad we shared that moment because now we can talk about it, right? I have felt such similar overwhelming joy in watching my favorite soccer team win a difficult game that took us down to the last penalty kick and when the crowd erupts in tears of joy because all is as it should be. The right team has won. I am by extension part of that. Something is a light in my soul. And truly there are no words for such joy. What we experience in those moments is the smallest taste of what we're made for. However, we're made to have it limitless, unadulterated, that joy that never ends because we'll be in the presence of the source of all the beauty and joy, God himself. God made us for that kind of joy. My hope has been as I've studied these passages and meditated on them that this morning you'll have stirred in you a deeper desire for God's presence in the here and the now and in the future. For this is the journey and the inheritance of the saint. In our passage of Revelation this morning, we see our ultimate destination, the later that is coming. The picture that is being painted here is definitely one of those experiences you can't capture in words, and John is trying to do that for us. If you were talking to someone who had been there and was trying to describe it, it would definitely fall in that category of, you just had to be there. There are no words for it. This is the hold nothing back celebration that makes you confident that everything has been brought to perfect completion, and you belong there. 
I remember an invitation Stuart and I received to a dinner party when we had one little baby. I had not been in the States for very long, and so I felt uncomfortable about knowing what the cues were. And so I called and fished around for what the dress would be like and, you know, what, what are people going to be wearing. Um, and the response I got was casual. Now, what I didn't know about in the U.S. is that when someone invites you to a dinner party, you notch up the dress a little bit. I arrived in my most comfortable nursing clothes, basically stretchy pants and a tunic nursing top. I probably put on some big dangly earrings, as I usually did, and I combed my hair. When I arrived, I was immediately ashamed and humiliated as I watched everybody walk around in their heels and gorgeous dress and their pearls and their done-up hair. I thought, oh, this is casual. Even the conversation was such a cultural disconnect for me that I couldn't wait to leave. We've all been in those social situations when we just can't quite find our place. But if you're in God's family and you're at this celebration described in Revelation, it will be your culture. You will finally feel total acceptance. For one of the meanings of glory um, and God sharing his glory is that he acknowledges you. He accepts you. C.S. Lewis, in his essay, The Weight of Glory, says the, that one of the ways to understand glory is a welcome into the heart of things. The door on which we have been knocking all our lives will open at last. So if this description of heaven in Revelation is just a little too removed for you, lots of eyes over animals and all of that, understand that it will be the opening of a door that your heart has been knocking at your whole life. You walk into all that you really desired. In this passage, we know that one of the joys that awaits us is the truest and best community that there is. Never competition, misunderstanding, jealousy, betrayal. It's a global, diverse community that has in common worship and total freedom in the presence of God. That community is possible because God, who's at the center of it, has paid with his life for every single person to be there. And he's finally revealed in all of his glory, and that's one of the other meanings of glory, his luminosity, his radiance is revealed to us. Such that the people around him can only erupt in praise that is finally satisfying enough because it embodies all we wanted to say. It embodies all we've wanted to express with our bodies and our minds and our hearts. All oh, the deep fellowship of being surrounded by stories, each life a testimony of God's love, so much so that everyone can only burst out. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Jesus, I know because I am saved. Can you imagine the stories that will surround you? I was saved from crippling anxiety. I was saved from abortion. I was rescued out of a slavery to myself. I was redeemed by love from my self-hatred. I was lifeless and Jesus breathed life into me. I was oppressed by demons and Jesus freed me. I was riddled with doubt and I saw the face of Jesus. And then everyone will be yelling, amen, so be it. All is finally right. All is aligned with the reality that is true. Then we'll fall on our faces as the angels do and we're compelled to yell out in praise, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving 
And that's not enough. Honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. God can only be who he is. We will simply finally see it. He is that now, but we have not seen it fully. We will see him as he is. In that moment, we will know that all the suspicions that we had of God, that he was withholding something from us, will be revealed as the contemptible slander that they are. All the honor we sought for ourselves, all that wrongly placed glory we were tempted to bestow on another, all the power that we attributed to governments or even our own fears will be cast out from the presence of the one who makes all things right. That is the fullness of the presence of God that awaits us. That is our destination. That's our community. That's the home you are longing for. This vision should totally inform the way we live our lives here on this earth. C.S. Lewis, again in that essay says, you and I have need of the strongest spell that can be found to wake us from the evil enchantment of worldliness which has been laid upon us. Almost all of our modern philosophies have been devised to convince us that the good of man is to be found on this earth. Knowing what awaits us, we're just too far satisfied with a small life here. Our desires are small and uninformed. This imagination from heaven should be woven into our daily thoughts and decisions. It underlies the way we spend our money, our time. It enables our sacrifices. We can endure untold suffering when we know that that's what's coming. We can endure mourning because all of our tears will be wiped away. John says, everyone who thus him hopes in him, in the first John passage, purifies himself as he is pure. There are two ways to read this, the active way. If you have this hope, you actively purify yourself. You repent, you can't help but repent because you see the face of Jesus. It also has, I believe, that fact about it, a statement of belief that he who has this hope is purified. You're purified by the fact that you see the face of Jesus. Having this vision of Christ, the glorified King, our Savior, who gave all for us and suffered, puts all things in the world at where it should be. And he invites us into all we have ever longed for. That purifies our lives here. John says the world doesn't know, but we know. We enter into the community of saints that have walked before us who are already there. Just by having this hope, we begin to break the spell. Becoming disenchanted with the world, shedding its perspectives and its values, draws us into our true inheritance. And all we can do is repent at our small view of God. Why would we not divest ourselves of anything that obscures our vision of God? This world matters only as it is in relationship to that world. This final vision of our ultimate destination gives us the capacity to live into the relationship that we already have with this same God who's on the throne. John really wants to emphasize this for us. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And then he gives it an exclamation, and so we are. And then again, beloved, we are God's children now, he says. Our inheritance reaches from future time and space 
and infuses us and our lives now because our inheritance is a person. It's not a chest of stuff. And this person is Jesus and he's timeless and he is in his love calling us, his children and chosen to share everything that he has and is. We will be like him. He is deeper, he's more expansive than any treasure you could ever acquire. And he's yours and he's mine. So he is and so we are. But we live in the not yet, the disequilibrium. The world to come where all is as it should be, where we're perfectly known and accepted and welcomed, all we were meant to be here in this world. As John says, a world that doesn't know God in this revealed way. The reason that the world does not know us, he says, is that it did not know him. This is not the welcoming community of Revelation. In fact, the world sits in judgment on God. It is because they don't know him in his glory or his love. It follows that what they, that they will not know those who are the children of the family. And then John says it again, but we know. What do we know? We know him as our father, and we know that we will see him as he is face to face. Knowing God now as our father and as his children who are loved and provided for releases us from the need to be known and accepted in the world. We do not need their affirmation or acceptance. We should be much more concerned about the well done of the one we'll live with forever in our sojourn here, suffering is part of it because we are being purified as he is pure. Jesus is pure in his love that will lay down, that lay down everything. In our Revelation passage, the majestic revelation of God on his throne is followed by a very personal picture. God can only be who he is, and God is not only majestic, all-powerful king, he is a God of love. He is love. John told us that. God is love. As this same John who's having the vision in Revelation says in the first John reading, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. No God has ever offered such a relationship to bring us mortals into his immortality to share in his glory. And I love in this picture of heaven when the elder says, to John, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And again, that word no, John says, sir, you know. And he tells us, these are the ones who have suffered. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. They have purified themselves. And then John writes a poem to try to capture the love he saw manifested toward those around the throne of God. He describes the Lord as sheltering them with his own person, night and day. He is the hiding place, the escape of ultimate protection. He is their shepherd, guiding them to springs of living water, where all their needs will be satisfied. You will have no more unmet desires, no more fear of scarcity, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. All the sorrow, the loss, the suffering, illness wiped away. In its place, glory, total fulfillment, home at last. When I was in college, I had the experience of being in a friend group that had a lot of struggle with doubt. 
And I also walked, and they also walked the edge in their lifestyles. It was cool, you know, to use edgy language, to flirt with the world. We were all a little angsty and introspective. I myself was in a time when I wasn't reading the Bible. I had a lot of Bible knowledge in my heritage, and uh, I had a lot of memorized Bible verses, but I wasn't really reviewing them at that time. I developed some cynicism toward the Lord, some questions that I harbored, and they created distance for me with, with Jesus. I remember deciding one day that I should probably get back to reading the Bible. I was a Christian, after all. But the only book of the Bible that I seemed to be able to handle was the book of Revelation. I think the poetry, the beauty fed my soul, that ultimate sense of Jesus wins, <laughs> that sense of that God is acting on our behalf and he has the last word. The more I read, I felt things shifting in my soul. I realized that I had fed on an impression of God that was not real or true. Even in that relatively short time away from the scripture, I had drifted, drawn by those around me and my own pain and confusion into a self-generated perception of God that needed divine correction. I could only repent. By looking at the real Jesus and drawing near, the purification was active. The gospel today said that the pure in heart see God. We will see him as he is. Enter into that seeing now. Let the hope stir you and activate your imagination so that you have more imagination for heaven than you do for your retirement or for your vacation. The more you see him, the more your heart is purified the more you repent. The more you are purified, the more you'll see him as he is. And the more you see him as he is, the more you will be like him. That's why when you finally see him face to face, you will be completely like him. This is the journey of the saint. And when we sing today at the end, when the saints go marching in, oh, I want to be in that number. Let God stir that worship in your heart. This is the community that's prepared for us, and we can enter into it now. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.